Well, welcome, welcome to you wherever you are at, wherever you are watching this live stream from. We're so very glad that you are with us for these few moments together. Hey, how about that weather we're enjoying? Uh, I got to show you a photo uh, this past week. I was able to go on a bike ride with one of my sons. We ended up at the University of Washington and saw this glorious uh, sight. And, uh, you know, I was reminded in a moment that there is indeed life after COVID. In fact, there's life in the middle of COVID. And I hope that you are experiencing that. Uh, you did see earlier a little video about uh, what's called the U version. And if you have not yet discovered that app, I do want to direct your attention to it. It's an incredible resource. It's absolutely free. You can find just about every version of the Bible that you might want to read from reading plans on any topic that interests you. But also, uh, this weekend, as always, you'll find a complete set of notes. Just go to events, uh, search for Arlington FM, and you will find our message notes. Well, speaking of which, uh, we are in a series called Find Your Family Fortune. And uh, it's always been God's intention to reveal His goodness, His life to the world through our families. I say that because God is relational, and God has made us in his image. And from the very first family, Adam and Eve, God commissioned them. He said, be fruitful and multiply, and his life came through them to the world. And uh, that has always been the case. Uh, I love this story. It's called the sleeping old dog story. And uh, it goes like this. An older, tired-looking dog wandered into my yard. True story. I could tell from his collar uh, that, that he, in his well-fed belly that he had a home and he was well cared for. He calmly came over to me. I gave him a few pats on his head. He then followed me into my house, slowly walked down the hall, curled up in the corner and fell asleep. Well, about an hour later, he went to the door and I let him out. The next day he was back, uh, greeted me in my yard, walked inside, resumed his spot in the hall and again, slept for about an hour. This continued off and on for several weeks. Curious, uh, the person writes, I pinned a note to his collar. Uh, I would like to find out who the owner of this wonderful, sweet dog is and ask you if you are aware that almost every afternoon your dog comes to my house for a nap. Well, the next day he arrived for his nap with a different note pinned, pinned to his collar. And here's what it said. He lives in a home with six children, two under the age of three. You ought to hear that again. He lives in a home with six children, two under the age of three. He's apparently trying to catch up on his sleep. Can I come with him tomorrow? Well, uh, as you might guess, uh, you know, that really is a great picture of the kind of refuge and rest that God would like to produce not only in our homes, but through our homes to others. And your home can become that kind of a place, regardless of what your starting point is. Uh, as we've said last week, whether you've known great blessing in your family, or you've known a, a large amount of brokenness, God takes us right where we're at and invites us to go where he is heading. And uh, in fact, uh, we made the, uh, the uh, foundational statement last week in introducing this series that finding our family fortune begins with what, we, what I call family faith. 
and I would describe it like this. It's the belief that God has something far better for you and for yours. God has something better for you and your family than you could ever produce or manufacture on your own. And this important sub-truth, that God can be trusted to bring that about, that God is faithful, and he will always complete the good things that he starts in us. Well, we looked last week at uh, someone who's known as the father of faith, Father Abraham. And what we found through Abram's example is that we have to open up to where God is inviting us to go. And sometimes that's really difficult in our families. Uh, And so God spoke to Abram in uh, Genesis 12. He said this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go from your people, Go from your father's household. See, God could not be any clearer that in order to go where he's bringing us, we have to leave where we're from. And that doesn't mean we don't honor our our families of origin and our mother and our father, but at some point we have to make a break. And God says, leave your, your, your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And God fills uh, in this, uh, invitation slash promise with an incredible description of his intent for Abram and his family that he's not only going to bless them, but he's going to bless the entire world through them. And so we're told in verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Well, today we're going to get a glimpse of what that journey looks like. Uh, maybe you're in that place where you're, you're still considering uh, whether or not you're going to buy into faith and believe that God has something better for you and trust that he is able to bring that about as you follow him. Uh, today, we're going to get a little further glimpse of what that journey looks like in defining our family fortune. And we look at uh, Abram's promised son, uh, Abraham's promised son, Isaac. And uh, we begin with his story um, in Genesis chapter 26 and kind of to set the the stage for Isaac's story. I want to tell a a current story from some friends of mine uh, several years ago. They built their dream house. Uh, high above the Deschutes River in central Oregon. And uh, shortly after moving into their dream home, uh, the water well ran dry. And uh, they were quickly faced with an important uh, decision. Do we bail out on our dream home, you know, sell and accept our losses and move somewhere else? Or do we dig deeper? And uh, as you might guess, they decided at great expense to dig deeper, and they discovered uh, some water tables that would never run dry underneath their home. And uh, here's a truth that emerges from their story of, you know, do we sell out or do we dig deeper and find a sustainable water supply? Is that uh, you can't thrive in life without water to survive. You have to have a dependable supply. Well, the same is true for our families. Uh, If you'll notice this slide, if your family is going to thrive, to find its good fortune, you have to discover and tap into a reliable source of life. You have to discover and tap into uh, something that's sustainable, that will bring God's resources into your family life. And that's exactly what we, we look at, lived out, in the life of Isaac. So uh, 
Genesis 26, verse 17. So Isaac moved. Uh, if you read the story, he was actually told to leave, <coughs> excuse me, uh, because he had become so prosperous that the people of the land were threatened by his presence. So they told him to leave, and he moved away from there, and he encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Now Isaac uh, reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. Uh, that was a, a side story there. But uh, Isaac, in order to survive, redigs, uh, opens up the wells that his uh, father Abraham had dug. And then we're told this important side note. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Uh, you might say Isaac did what was needed to survive in this land. Uh, but he didn't stop there as the story goes on. And that's an important point of demarcation that with the promise that God had spoken to Isaac, he knew that God had more in store for he and his family than just surviving on the wells that his father Abraham had dug. And so uh, we're told in verse 19, uh, Isaac's servants moved on and they dug in the valley and they discovered a well of fresh water there, a well of flowing water, uh, quite different than what his father Abraham had experienced. Uh, but there's a problem. We're told the herders of Gerar quarreled uh, with those of Isaac. And I don't think we can really catch the drift of this unless we've ever spent time in a water-starved region. And uh, when that's the case, water rights and who owns the water becomes like the big issue. And that apparently was the case in this Middle Eastern uh, country. Uh, the water, they said, is ours, this flowing water. And so uh, Isaac named that well Isaac because they disputed with him. Uh, then they moved on and they dug another well, verse uh, 21. But there was quarreling over that one also. And so he named it Sitna. And it's interesting, the two names that Isaac gives to these wells. One is Esek, which means contention and strife. And the other is Sitna, which means argue and accuse. So look at those words, contention, strife, arguing, accusing. And uh, some of you are thinking, that sounds like my family. You're describing my family right there. Well, basically, uh, we're told that uh, in this stage of Isaac's journey, he and his family, uh, there's conflict everywhere. There's arguing at every turn. And it really highlights that uh, it's easy to get bogged down in conflict in our homes. It's easy to get waylaid. In fact, many couples, many families never move beyond the state of arguing and contending and uh, uh, opposing at every turn. Uh, but here's the, here's the truth about conflict. It's normal. In fact, check your pulse. If you're alive and you see people at all, you experience conflict. And uh, for any uh, marriage in any home, managing our conflict becomes a really big deal. How we navigate and deal with our differences. It's funny how uh, the things that once drew us uh, to our spouse uh, when we were dating or courting, uh, 
become the very things that annoy us the most after we're marriage. And uh, I can just tell you, uh, as a fellow journeyer, the first two years of my marriage to my wife were not easy. And uh, for some reason, uh, I had never learned how to deal well with conflict. And that became uh, very apparent in the early years of our marriage. Well, uh, unfortunately, many marriages, uh, unresolved conflicts becomes the air that they breathe, becomes the environment of their homes, becomes that context in which their children are raised and eventually go off and start their own lives. Uh, it's uh, interesting, the, uh, the dynamics of how we deal with our points of opposition. Uh, there's a group called the Gottmans uh, at the University of Washington called the Gottman Institute of Relationship uh, Research. And uh, in their decades of observing uh, married couples, particularly how they deal with their conflicts, the Gottmans identified what they call the four horsemen that predict divorce in marriage. In other words, these four uh, reactions to conflict are relationship killers, and it's worth uh, noticing them. They are criticism, uh, going beyond dealing with the problem and actually criticizing the one who you think is causing the problems, and which leads naturally to a sense of contempt. And it's that, that disposition that, whereas once we only saw good in our partner and we found a way to minimize all of their deficiencies, now it's just the opposite where everything becomes a point of annoyance. And then a defensiveness, a feeling that if we're going to survive in this relationship, we need to pull up the drawbridge and look over the ramparts and you know, defend ourselves against every attack and accusation. And then the, uh, really the coup de grace of relationship killers is what the Gottmans have called stonewalling which is turning away from rather than toward and uh, being a, almost a refusal to open up to this person that we dedicated and committed our lives to. Well, I have to say, uh, referring back to, again to the first two years of my marriage, I was like the poster child for these four horsemen that kill relationships. And to this day, over 40 years later, thank God, still married to my wife, I'm grateful that she didn't leave me during that time. And uh, as the Gottmans have studied uh, how couples deal with conflict, I want you to hear uh, some of their observations. Uh, they have come to the understanding that mutual understanding between uh, married couples is the healthiest and most productive goal of all conflict. Hear that again, mutual understanding uh, should be the goal of every experience of conflict, that this is an opportunity to get to know what really makes this person tick, that managing conflict helps us actually love each other better over time, understand each other at a deeper level, and renew our commitment to that relationship. Those are incredibly important uh, dispositions toward the things we argue about, that they actually over time help us understand each other at a deeper level and renew our commitment to this relationship. Uh, here's another unique observation the Gottmans have made. Almost 70% of the things we argue about 
with our spouses are unresolvable. In other words, as they've watched couples over time, most of these things never change. And that's not to describe hopelessness. It really describes reality that uh, people are different. And uh, many of the things, are they're, they're not really negative or positive. They're just kind of neutral. And it's how we learn to deal with those, uh, what they call permanent uh, problems, really dictates uh, how much joy we experience in our relationship. And in fact, they refer to them as perpetual problems. And uh, I want to end the Gottman uh, perspective with this uh, quote. And this is from uh, one of their more recent books called Eight Dates. And it's uh, things you can talk about with your spouse to, uh, to help you navigate life well together. But uh, here's the quote. Relationships work to the extent that you have a set of perpetual problems, things that really aren't going to change about your spouse, that you can learn to live with. And the great gift is that within these conflicts, within these things that don't change, uh, these perpetual problems that you can't ever seem to resolve, lie the greatest opportunities for growth and intimacy. It's almost like the, uh, you know, the, the, the grain of sand in the oyster that if, uh, if it stays there long enough, it becomes a pearl. And that's kind of the truth of how we deal with conflict uh, in our relationships. And uh, as we look at Isaac and his family, they didn't get stuck at, at dispute. They didn't get stuck in a life of arguing and contending. They moved on, they moved through it, and we're told in verse 22, uh, he moved on from there and they dug yet another well. And no one quarreled over that one. In other words, they got past their conflict. And he named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Uh, see, uh, this was the key for Isaac and his family finding their fortune, is they had to press through these things to discover that place where, where they knew that God had given them an, a, a, a space, room, an environment where they could flourish in their lives together, which was always God's intent for them. Well, it's almost as if uh, Isaac and his family in this third well discovered an unlimited reservoir of, of resource for their family. Uh, but here's the thing. They had to drill for it. They had to dig deeper for it. They had to press through some things in order to take hold of it. And here's the lesson that comes to us who really want to enter into God's fullness for our families. Uh, if you are going to find your family fortune, you have to find a way to access God's provision for yourself and for your loved ones. Uh, hear that again because that's critically uh, significant in God's invitation to experience his goodness in our families. If you are going to find your family fortune, you have to find a way to access God's provision for yourself and for your loved ones. See, uh, God is willing to do so much uh, in our lives, but he won't do everything. Uh, in fact, I think of Paul's words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you. 
and it's that partnership. But on our end, it almost boils down to our desire and, and how much we really want to take hold of what God has in store for us. It's like that that story of the, the woman who uh, had an, a hemorrhage of blood for 12 years. You can only imagine uh, how just how difficult her life had been in that time. And uh, when she saw Jesus, she pressed through the crowd. And though the crowd might have pushed her away, she found a way to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment and his life flowed into her. It's kind of like uh, another healing, a guy named Bartimaeus, who when he heard Jesus was going by, began to yell out, Master, help me! And the, the crowd told him to quiet down. Uh, but the, the scriptures say that he called all the louder. And Jesus came to him and uh, he received his sight. It, it's kind of like those guys who, who had a paralyzed friend. And they just knew that if they could get him close to Jesus, he, would be, he could be touched. And uh, when they arrived at the house where Jesus was, were told the house was so packed they couldn't get in. Uh, not to be deterred, they went up on the roof, dug a hole, and lowered their friend through the roof, and Jesus touched him and made him well. Well, here's the common ingredient. They all pressed through the obstacles, and they took hold of the promise that God had in store for, he- for them. They, all of them, pressed through the difficulties, the challenges, the barriers, the conflicts, and they took hold of the promise that God had in store for them. See, Jesus said those who seek, and the, the, uh, uh, the nuance of the word he used really has the meaning, those who seek and keep on seeking will find. Those who knock and keep on knocking, the door will be open to them. Uh, well, uh, here's another uh, of the Gottman's insights on relationships. That relationships thrive in a rich environment of positivity. I think that stands uh, to logic. Relationships do well in a rich, almost hothouse environment of positive interaction. And, and, and I would just uh, pose this question. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we had this unending resource of positive regard for people, and especially the people that we're doing life with? Uh, wouldn't it be great if we could just turn on the faucet, and out would come uh, all of these relationship attributes that people long to receive from us. You know, call it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all of these things. Uh, We could just tap into the life of God, and they would uh, pour into our hearts and into our relationships and into our homes and out to others. Well, here's the really good news today. We do have such a resource. There, there is a river of flowing uh, life that is out there for us to tap into. In fact, that God invites us uh, to access so that we can live into the promise he has for our families. Uh, I, I want to take us uh, to a passage in John's gospel. It's uh, John chapter 7, and uh, it's describing a, a very important event in the life of Jesus. Uh, during that time, one of the, the, the greater festivals uh, of the annual calendar for the Jewish people 
was known as the festival, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And uh, there was a lot of discussion as to whether or not Jesus would even show up in Jerusalem because uh, already there had been threats on his life from the religious leaders. Uh, but Jesus does choose to go to this festival. And it's important to note uh, that this particular festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrated God's uh, presence and God's provision in the wilderness. That's, that's significant. This feast celebrated God's presence and God's provision in their wilderness journey. And so we're told in uh, John 7, verse 37, on the last and the greatest day of the festival. You can uh, you, just use your imagination. This week-long uh, festival is coming to a head. It's the greatest day of the festival. It's like the grand finale, the running of the bulls, the 4th of July, New Year's Eve, all thrown into one. And uh, on this last and greatest day, uh, some of the events that would have happened in Jerusalem, uh, one of them was called the, um, it was associated with the drawing of water. Uh, surprise, surprise, uh, the drawing of water to celebrate God's provision of water in the desert when his people were wandering. But it was also to ask for future provision. In fact, uh, the, one of the rabbis uh, trying to describe the drawing of water festival said this, if you have not been part of the drawing of water celebration, you don't know joy. Uh, it was that significant and uh, a joyful uh, event, but uh, as the throngs of worshipers would have gathered uh, and moved towards the temple, uh, there would have been a procession of priests who, with golden pitchers, uh, drew water uh, from the well and brought them to the altar. And uh, there they poured these pitchers of water into large bowls, and they were preparing uh, to offer uh, these pour out these bowls of water as an offering to God and uh, as a request. Uh, during that time, they would ask God to send the rains that would make their, uh, their crops grow and ensure another year of his blessing. And uh, so as the priests are enacting this ritual, uh, some of the scriptures that the worshipers would have declared and proclaimed, uh, one of them comes from Isaiah chapter 12. Uh, which reads, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And with joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. The worshipers would have been proclaiming uh, that scripture passage. Uh, and then this one from Ezekiel 47, where uh, in this uh, chapter, Ezekiel receives this incredible vision of, of water, a river of living water flowing from the corner of the temple where God's people meet with him. And uh, in this vision, the further that water moves away from the temple, the wider and deeper it becomes and the more life-giving its effects until uh, Ezekiel describes uh, the water flowing into the Dead Sea itself. And he says, uh, wherever the river flows, everything will live. Wherever that river of water that comes from God's temple flows, everything will live. Well, it's during that part 
of the celebration, uh, just about when the priests started to pour out the bowls of water. And the worshipers would have been holding in one hand uh, a, a gathering of, uh, of uh, branches and palm branches, and in the other hand, they would have been holding citrus. And just when the priests are to pour out uh, the bowls of water, the command would have went out for, preceded by three blasts of the ram's horn. Uh, so you can imagine everyone's attention. And then the call would be, raise your hands. And up would come the palm branches and up would come the citrus. And they were just about to ask for God's provision of life-giving rain. And we're told, uh, if you can imagine, uh, verse 38, Jesus stood up. And he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You talk about seizing the moment uh, of this incredible festival when they uh, are reaching to God for life-giving rain and Jesus stands up and says, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink, and out of him will flow these rivers of living water. Uh, you know, if you can imagine being at a wedding ceremony, and, uh, you know, all the, the uh, processional stuff has happened, and the, the uh, officiant has led the couple to this point where they declare their vows to one another, and uh, the bride is just about to say, I do, and uh, everybody's dialed in, and all of a sudden, someone stands up in the audience and says, is anyone desiring true love? And let them uh, betroth themselves to me. And we would go, what? Wait, uh, usher that person out of here. Well, it, it had to be that startling for Jesus to stand up in that moment and make this proclamation, but it's incredibly significant for those of us who want to find his life in the context of our home and our families. Is anyone thirsty? Jesus said. Does anyone long for more of the life of God? Has anyone uh, moved to that place where maybe they've experienced contention and opposition and they're ready for those life-giving waters that bring fruitfulness and allow us to flourish in the land? Well, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink and that river of life that that spirit of god will flow from within us uh, that that river that flows in the desert places that allows barren places to become uh, full and uh, flourish with life that turns uh, places of death into places of fullness you know uh, that quote that relationships thrive in a rich environment of positivity. Uh, this is exactly what God's spirit uh, can bring to us uh, when we drink from the wells of salvation. Uh, we mentioned the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the attributes that allow relationships to do really, really well. And these are the very things that God's spirit uh, produces in us as we drink from him. Uh, so I would uh, end as we pray. I want to ask you this question. Are you thirsty? Uh, is there something in you that longs 
for more of this abundance that God has promised to bless people with so that his goodness can be shared throughout the world. I remember a trip, uh, we went to a construction trip in Haiti, and uh, when I first saw the water we would be drinking for two weeks, uh, I had a thought, I wonder if I could survive without any water for two weeks, because it just didn't look like something that I wanted to put into my body. But I tell you, after one day of working in 90 degree heat and about that intense humidity, uh, that water looked awfully good and I couldn't get enough of it and uh, was very grateful that not only was it run through a purification system, but my water bottle had its own purifier in it and uh, uh, I drank deeply. And uh, so I would just ask you, are you thirsty? Uh, for the life-giving water that comes from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then uh, this second question, are you coming to Jesus and drinking deeply? Uh, Are you thirsty for life? Well, God has made it clear where that life comes from. He has opened up a fountain for us, a subterranean well that will never run dry. But uh, as the old saying says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And uh, I would just invite you to uh, answer that question honestly. Am I coming to Jesus and drinking deeply from the well of salvation? I had an opportunity to visit with a a dear friend in the church this last week, and because of uh, COVID realities, we really hadn't spent much time together over the last year. And uh, I asked him how, how he was doing, and one of the things that he wanted to talk most about was how rich his uh, morning times with Jesus are and how uh, he kind of goes through that time uh, prioritizing, uh, aligning his heart with God's heart for him and uh, opening uh, his barriers, uh, digging deeper and allowing that life that God has promised to begin coming out of his innermost being. Well, uh, I want to invite you to, uh, to pray with me. And as, uh, as we turn our hearts to the only one who can bring that life-giving, uh, joy-producing, love-enhancing flow of his spirit, uh, as we uh, turn to him, uh, I want to read you a, a passage from the very end of the Bible where it looks at what's called the river of life. And uh, John says an angel showed him the river of the water of life, and it was as clear as crystal. It was flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down through the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of that river stood the tree of life. They were bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit in every month. Things are growing. Uh, Things are producing. Uh, Life is happening. And the, the leaves of the tree, John says, are for the healing of the nations. An incredible vision of the life-giving property that is available to each and every one of us as we choose to access it for ourselves and those who live within our homes. And uh, this final verse, 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes Take the free gift of the water of life. Would you come uh, to him with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, 
We want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for revealing God to us. Thank you for bringing God to us. Thank you for being God with us. And Lord, for this amazing invitation that you proclaimed, that if anyone is thirsty, let him come to you and drink. And Lord, I would just pray right now for any who have never met you, perhaps maybe haven't called upon you, or it's been an awful long time since they have, Lord, I pray with them right now that you would stir their hearts to respond to that invitation that they know comes from you, that they would turn to you, that they would open up to you and allow you to begin to bring your life to them. And if that's what's in your heart, I want to invite you. You can pray this prayer aloud or just agree in your heart, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. I hear your promise of life-giving water, and I want to drink of that. And so however that works itself out in my life, Lord, I'm turning to you. I believe in you, and I believe that my best hope for my future and my family's future is by fixing my attention on you and responding to your invitation to come and drink the water of life. And I thank you for what I've heard, God, that it's free. I don't have to do anything to qualify for it. I only have to want it and to open up to it. And Lord, for all of us, uh, I pray that if any of us uh, have been derailed into a season of contention or strife, if life has become more of a fight for us, uh, rather than an experience of your fullness. Uh, Lord, would you speak into that right now? Uh, Lord, that vision of your river of life going even to dead places, uh, would that be true uh, in our hearts and our minds if we've reached any place in our journey of faith with you that is less than flourishing? Uh, Lord, would you work miracles uh, right now, regardless of how small that trickle might be? I pray that as it works itself out, uh, in our own hearts, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our homes, in our interactions with our neighbors, Lord, that, that the further downstream, the deeper and wider that flow of your life would become. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for your good intentions for us. And I pray that you would lead each of us forward into your good future for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.